Here's the thing. Jesus has a special place in his heart for vicars. All right, good. Now we're good. Now we're good to go. Whoever did whatever they did, thank you very much. Okay. Well played, young man. Stand around, poke some things, and look official. That's Most of life is just looking like you, you know. Like you're looking like you know what to do. That's exactly right. Okay. All right, here we go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, grant to us, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that we hear your word, accept your word, and we live in cleansed mind and renewed life ever unto you, through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's see. So if you pass that around. Now, um, the Russians at some point, I'm getting better at this, the Russians are going to write me at some point in the next 90 days and say, hey, can you give me $10,000 for the summer camp, which we always somehow manage to do. But you'd take so much pressure off me if you'd put $10,000 in the basket for the Russians. Because <laughs> then when they write me, I can just say yes and go back to what I was doing. So um, there's always this crisis. They always write me a little bit late, although they've gotten better and better. They send me a budget now, and then they send me a theme, and then we got to s- then they send a report, and then they send money, or I mean they send uh, movies, and uh, you know, so life is life is pretty good. So um, you know, if you put some put some money in there, it'll all be good. All right. So let me see. Questions about anything going on? I want to say thanks to people who came for the Tizay thing. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Well, I, I mean, and I'm, I'll miss people, but thanks to Chuck Brown and the musicians, to Peter and Philip and to the Octet and the people who played, Denise played and other folks who played, Janet played. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, it was remarkable to have that many people show up. I think there must have been 100 people uh, who showed up, and it was remarkable how good it was. I was. It was 10 times better than I thought it would ever be, which is really, really remarkable. So... They'll be cheap. The first thing, people are working hard on it already. By the way, the musician types in your boxes already are your edited versions. So we need a quick turnaround here. Otherwise, all these people in this room will hate you because <laughs> um, they won't have anything to buy for Christmas. I'm looking, you know, it'll be three or four bucks for you to, to do that. You have, people have asked about a podcast. We, we haven't quite figured out the licensing things. We, we're, we're scrupulous about paying for the things that we use, which means we have a music license. If we record it on a CD, that's old technology. But it's harder to estimate when we have a podcast what people are going to do. So you'll get it on a CD this time around. We'll try to figure out the other things, but we try not to, you know, try not to break the rules in terms of people's stuff. So that was really good. And to you know the Strutzels and the Craigs and I know the Yonkers, and I'm sure there were other people who worked very hard to put dinner on, and it was very nice. Um, just thank you, thank you very much. You you live in a really great community, and it's a really great place. Here's the other thing: if you couldn't show up for that, it's fine. You know, don't feel bad if you can't show up because. There's something like that once a month at St. John. And if you didn't go to this one, you'd go to the next one. I know it was homecoming for some kids who couldn't be there, and parents who were watching kids who were going to homecoming and all the rest of that. You live in a really, really good place at a really, really good time. So just kind of cherish that and take, take good care of it, please. Um, take good care of each other. And, and um, you know, when it's your turn to have some fun and play, please come along and do that. It was just a, it was quite a remarkable thing. So thank you for that. Um, a couple of you have sent me, especially I suppose based on what I've said and then kind of what the greater world is doing, you know, a couple of you have sent me uh, all, all sorts of comments on different directions of what the Catholics are up to with the Senate and the family and the intrigue. And, you know, there's some, you know, there's some power politics going on behind the scenes. And 
It's interesting because you're sending me stuff from both ends of the spectrum. Some of you are sending me some stuff from Francis and his allies who seem to be saying soften up. And then, you know, there's the other side. People are sending me stuff from Cardinal Burke, who, you know, has now found himself exiled to Malta, uh, which is very interesting. When we bought our stuff at Gamarelli, so when we bought our vestments, you know, we're in this little shop where every pope has gotten his vestments for the last 300 years. It's not a big place, you know, it's just a little corner. And, you know, on a very kind of unassuming wall, there were brown packages. And I happened to turn around, the one said Father Burke on it. And I said, you know, and he had been um, Archbishop of St. Louis, and, you know, things were going on. So I, you know, I knew who he was based on that. Anyway, I said, what's in the, what's in the, I said, what's in the, what's in the, you know, what's in the bag? It's a brown paper wrapping kind of old school. Look, it could have been pork chops, but, you know, <laughs> I said to, you know, what's, what's in the bag? And, and, the, and the guy said, kind of without missing a beat, everything he needs to ascend to be a cardinal. I'm like, all right. So there's all his fancy clothes. So, you know, spin forward five or six years now, he was the chief canon lawyer. He's sort of fallen out of favor because he's um, quiet on the conservative end. You're seeing this huge push and pull going. Now, here's the thing. I like both sides. I like the, fr- the fact that Francis talks about mercy. I like Cardinal Casper, who talks about being open to families and people, and they have real troubles and you have to work with them. That's great. I also like Burke, who says... The kindest thing you can do to people is to tell them the truth. And he said, and if you change the language, if words suddenly mean different things, you're actually being unkind to people. So this is, you know, we have both sides of this. You know, partly what I'm trying to encourage you to do is be merciful as you tell stories to people. When you get the chance, drop a story in and then relax because the Holy Spirit gets busy. You do not need to close the sale. It is not your job. You will never talk anybody into believing. People cannot be reasoned into believing. They can't be argued into believing. You can't stack up enough truth to make people believe. Why? Because arguments work at the level of the mind. Faith works at the level of the heart. One of the mistakes of the Enlightenment is to, and this has been absorbed by American evangelicalism, is to move the locus of faith, the place where faith happens, from your heart to your head. And so there was this long, you know, evidence that demands a verdict and, you know, four spiritual rules and can't we argue you into this and blah, 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 blah. The answer is actually you can't argue because when a, pe- a person comes to faith, it is the same sort of miracle as when Lazarus comes back to life. Jesus speaks an enlivening word, an inspirited word, and it strikes somebody and they come to life. That's what happens. It happens to Lazarus's body. It happens to your heart. So in the first analysis, um, you know, faith is not consenting to a bunch of propositions and being argued. You can't argue anybody into the faith. However, the faith is a very, very rich, rich thing. You know, you think this synod is contentious. I was kind of remembering this morning at the Council of Nicaea-ish, from which we get the Nicene Creed, although it develops over some years. There's a couple of councils in Nicaea, but I think it was the first one, 325. The basic thing is, and this is, the basic question was, how is Christ related to the Father? Equal, subordinate to, inferior to, different from, wholly different from. So all the bishops gather in Nicaea and they're trying to talk this over. And Arius um, you know, stands up and says, Jesus is not the same stuff, the same sort of divinity as the Father. To which Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, real guy, got up, walked across the room, and punched him in the nose. <laughs> True story. So here's the thing. I mean, it happens in the church, and you're just kind of watching it play out in real time. So, you know, nobody punched Burke in the nose, but sending him to Malta, 
after he was the chief canon lawyer. So he was a big shot under Benedict. He, was the, he would have been like chief justice of the Supreme Court, but chief justice of the Vatican Court. I mean, it's a big deal to be the head canon lawyer. And he's a, he's a remarkable guy. He's bright. He's calm. He's clear. When you read his interviews, he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, he's pushing back as much as a priest can push back. So you're just watching this push and pull in real time. It's exactly the same thing that all of you face when you go out into the world. It's exactly the same thing. You have people who are clearly doing things that are sinful. And so you shouldn't hear anything that I'm saying as a budge on sin. The problem is, is when we use sin as a barrier, as if we aren't sinners and they are. That's, that's where the mistake is made. These are our people. Jesus wants everybody in and nobody out. These are our friends. These are our kids, right? These are our relatives. These are our next-door neighbors. And they're no different than you and I in one sense. Sin is the great leveler. That's why everybody kneels at the point of the confession. You know, our common thing is that we're all infected. We're all disordered. We're all original sinners. And we then act out in sins. That's the common thing. And you can't gloss that over. I mean, otherwise you don't need Jesus. If you can do it on your own, you don't need Jesus. So it was a genius of a sermon this morning um, when basically, you know, the pastor says to you, you know, this is what Jesus needs to do and he needs to, it needs to be totally unjust. It was a genius little twist. You know, he's a very bright boy. And the notion of give the image of Caesar to Caesar, give the image to God to God. That's a very interesting reading of that text. It was very, very well done. That the image of Caesar is returned to Caesar and the image of God in the face of Jesus, you know the Father, that what the image of God is returned to God. It's a very clever idea in reading of that text. Um, you know, so this very, there's a lot behind that, even though he spoke very clearly. So anyway, um, for all of you, and this is the exercise for this year. The exercise for this year is, you know a fair number of Jesus stories. My, my, you're a very sophisticated group. I was at Michigan this last week, and um, I gave two lectures, and I had... Um, you know, 101, 125 in another, which is a pretty big crowd. There were 1,200 people at this place. And um, you had the re- I had the reaction that you either love or hate, which is people sat completely still and were dead silent, and then they got up and walked out. That means one of two things. It was fantastic, or you stink. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those two. People are like, they're either saying, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, or... I've been waiting this all my life. And there's no in-between. When people sit that still, you're kind of like, so I talked about beauty and I talked about anger. I did ask a pastor afterwards. I'm like, what, you know, a guy that I know kind of through bumping into him at places. I said, what happens? He said, this was probably over most people's heads. Now, most people were pastors. Here's the thing. It's not that, it wasn't that much more than what I do in here, right? So, I mean, take that in a compliment in a way. You're a very sophisticated crew, we spent a lot of time together over the years, and you've put your time in, and you understand things. Here's the thing. Now, this is, now we're all the way back to the family senate. So you've got your Cardinal Burke lines down, okay? You know the stories. You know the language. You know the stuff. You know what Christians are meant to be. That's fantastic. The real question, and this is always the question for pastors, but it is the question for you as well. When you church the world, can you say that crisply, kindly, mercifully, comprehensively, can you say it in a way that people can understand and can accept it? That's the key, right? My, I know that you can appeal to the mind. You're very bright people. 
And for, you know, a couple hundred years, the Lutheran Church has probably overdone appealing to the mind. Although, I'll just tell you, I'm still a memory work guy. I'm still like a learn your lines guy. Although I'm not, you know, I wouldn't have tortured my grandmother, you know. I told you about my grandmother, who was the only person in her confirmation class. She had to answer every question in the catechism in German in front of the congregation. All right. Now, here's the thing. If that doesn't chase you out of the church, not, it, either, it does one of two things. It either chases you out of the church or it makes you a dink in the church for the rest of your life because you're thinking, these kids are soft. She only had to do half the questions in German. You know, Where's the other half? Well, I had to do it. You heard this from your parents or your grandparents, didn't you? Oh, you saw it, you know. So the point is, you know a lot of stuff. You always have to keep brushing that up. But you have to be able to speak mercifully to people, softly, clearly, lovingly, kindly, patiently, mercifully to people. That's what you need to be able to do. And then you need to be able to walk away from it, right? So all your effort is into what you can do, which, and I'll just say for Lutherans, primarily is to love other people to be merciful to other people. We don't have a concern about doctrine. we got great doctrinal stuff. Our concern is the delivery of the doctrine clearly and kindly in a way that people can understand it. So, you know, everybody who writes a sermon or every vicar that comes through, they have to tell me the one thing they're going to say in five words or less. If they can't do that, we just keep writing, right? Until you can't write anymore. You just have to be able to say... So, you know, something this morning would be something like the image of God is returned to God. It's six words, but you basically get the notion. You have to be able to say in one, five or six words, you have to be able to say what it is, in fact, that you are doing. Okay? And what happens then is you, as you get more and more of these stories that are just kind of with you, that you kind of, you chew on them and they come part of your life, they'll just sort of come out of you. Right? They'll, they'll just come out of you. So today, you know, we want to do this story of Mark II, um, the paralytic. But I want to, I, this may come out of you in places um, where you may not expect it. So I want to talk about two things. One is, it's obviously a story for people who say, if I went to church, the roof would come, come, come down. But actually, an even more interesting place is, this story gives you the chance to say to somebody else, I will pray for you. Now, here's the thing. That is about the most innocuous thing a Christian can say. Almost everybody I know, if you say, I will pray for you, you know. Um, when I have a collar on and I'm somewhere, people find, discover I'm a pastor, and they start to, it's kind of interesting. We went to, we were coming back from a conference. We stopped at a deli, and, you know, I'm with the three guys in collars, and I'm wearing a sweater, and I'm like, I'm taking the priests out to, to dinner, to lunch. I said, they're, they're poor. I'm taking the priests to lunch. And the woman said, are you a priest too? And I said, I said, now this is all over, like, and I'll have the salt and vinegar, you know, chips with the, you know, she's like, are you a priest too? Yeah, she said, oh my, and then of course they always lay it out. To which my answer is, when somebody says father and then they do this, then to much my answer is, I'll say mass for you, which, before you get too nervous, is what the Lutheran confessions call it, by the way. So <laughs> read your confessions before you write me letters, you know. Uh, <laughs> It does say, you know, on the teaching of the Mass, that's, the, the, that's what it says. So I basically, which basically in my translation means, I mean, they get what, what, they, what they, you know, forget about all the making a sacrifice and doing a good work for them. What they hear, what they hear from me saying is, oh, the priest is going to pray for me, right? Now, here's the thing. It's exactly the same for you. The only softer thing you can say, but it takes actually more, it takes actually more chutzpah, is to say, that, but, but it's more accepted, which is you often say to people, can I bless you? People will sometimes pull back from the notion of you praying for them 
because that seems to invoke God. But blessing is even a more generic category, and people will receive it as, or if you simply say to people, Christ bless you, right? And it's three words, but it puts people, it puts people in a completely different place. It's, a, it's the most merciful thing you can do to people. So, and that's in the story for today, this notion of, this is going to undo the notion of you have to be a good boy and get all your, you know, dot all your I's and cross all your T's, and then you show a lot of big faith, then Jesus will be nice to you. So flip open. I've given you a couple of different readings at the end. We'll read some softer versions of this, you know, which, and I'll, I'll make my um, disclaimer right now, which is these aren't the ones that I would use if we're, you know, if we're doing hardcore text study, but they are very nice for getting it in your head so you can talk like a human being, okay? So just do the first one. This is um, Peterson again. After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum. So he's going back to hometown. Uh, this is the very last, second last page probably that you have. And you know that Jesus has caused a bit of a stir now, you know. So you think about just, you know, because we can't often... I was thinking about, just, just, to, just, to, um, just as an aside thing to the sermon, when the, Jews, when the Pharisees asked this question of Jesus this morning, they're asking a question that would be like, if I asked this question to you, is it right for you to pay tax to ISIS or not? So you know the Muslims that come in, these hardcore Muslims come in, and the, you have a couple of choices. You can convert, uh, you can flee, you can be beheaded, or there's kind of a middle ground in the law too, which is you can pay, you can buy your way out of it and stay, but you're always under this oppressive tax, okay? That hasn't been quite as much of an option for them. They're much more interested in killing people. But traditionally, you know, you could stay a Christian, but you pay a heavy, heavy tax. So if you can think about that, we don't really get the revulsion that people would have if you say, can you pay the tax to Caesar? It would be like if I said to you, pony up and you all pay 35% today to ISIS. That's what it would be like. That's the, whatever feeling you have there, that's the kind of feeling they, they, would, they would have when they said to Jesus, should we pay to the Romans? They hated the Romans. The Romans were occupiers and oppressors. Okay? So think about it in that way. Well, the other side is, is I mean, here's how you, you have to think about these in terms of current way. This is, so this is like if um, people had Ebola scares in Galilee. And Jesus was the guy who could come in, and if he touched you, you were healed. That's what the crowd feels like, okay? And that's why the place is jammed, because there is no national health care. There are no doctors, right? There might be this and that, a little bit of home remedy. We know if we pour oil on that and some wine on that, how about some... But in general, there's no heater. So the reason Jesus comes home now, hometown boy made good, he's gone around and he's begun to do remarkable things all around the Sea of Galilee. He comes back home. If you've been to the Holy Land, you can see the places. I mean, it's still a little dinky place, and you can see the places where Jesus stands. It's one of the most reliable things you can see is the, is the synagogue in Capernaum and the house and where Jesus taught. Okay, after a few days, Jesus came home, and word got around that he was back, and that's just the way it would have been. Word got around. He's back. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. You can completely understand this. This is all, you know, this is all elbows and wide spaces because I'm going to get my people in and I, you know, I've got a big toe that needs a little bit of attention and I'm going to talk. My friend John Norby, who now teaches at the seminary, when he got his PhD in classics, he finally finished this thing. He was a pastor in Chicago. He did a PhD in classics. When he finally got his degree, he was making shut-in calls 
And he said, kind of in passing, to the one of the old ladies that he was bringing the Eucharist to, he's like, he said, well, I finally finished my, I finally finished my dissertation. I'm a doctor. She said, that is fantastic. I have a big toe that's killing me. Could you take a look at this? That's a true story. Okay? So it's like that, okay? It's like Nordling making shut-in calls, if you're listening, John. So there it is. Um, this crowd is jammed, and they couldn't get out. He was teaching the Word. They bought a, brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. Let's see. When they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on the stretcher. Okay, now, this is normal. You had a hole in the roof for ventilation. You leave the door open if you had a door. You cut a hole in the roof, and the air blows through off the sea, and, you know, it's uh, their, their form of air conditioning, right? So it's not like they took pickaxes. It's just that this is not the entrance that everybody normally uses. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, Son, I forgive your sins. See, Some religious scholars sitting there started whispering among themselves. I mean, you just, this is, this is the, I mean, this is just every church meeting there ever was. There's always some scholars on the outside whispering among themselves, right? He can't talk that way, that's blasphemy, right? God and only God can forgive sins. That's actually a very good, succinct explanation of what's happened. That's why they're offended. So blasphemy is when you steal God's honor. You make yourself equal to God. So in a, in a way, Adam is a blasphemer in the garden. You know, wouldn't, but did God, when did God ever say? Why did God say that? Wouldn't you like to be able to know good and evil? Wouldn't you like to live forever? Blasphemy is to elbow God out of the way and to accept his praise or do his things or pretend you're God. This is just the very first commandment and everything else. In some sense, every sin is blasphemy. Okay? So, and they, they're very good. I mean, this is partly the thing about church people. Church people are very good at spotting other people's problems. I mean, I look around the room, I can see dozens and dozens of things from here, okay? And frankly, when you're looking at me, Kovac, I know you can see it, right? You're looking right into my heart, aren't you? Yeah, don't tell anybody. Put it under the seal, okay? So, you know, it's blasphemy. Only God can, they're very good. Church people are very good at telling other people. I mean, here's the thing, man. I could raise everybody else's kids way better than my own. I'd be a genius at raising your kids. I know exactly which, by the way, I know exactly which medical treatment you should be taken to and what kind of car you should drive because it's easy, right? Because I know everything about, except for my own life, but I could straighten you out right now, right? That's very common in the church. We need to lose that. The notion that, you know, we're in judgment of other people and they need to be straightened out. Believe me, opportunities will emerge, and you can't confess for other people either. And frankly, it's a bit overrated, you know, kind of confronting people. This is what we did about, you know, showing up in a bus and yelling at other people. It's really not that helpful, okay? He can't talk that way. It's blasphemy. God, only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what he was thinking right away. Basically, Jesus didn't have to invoke any divine intuition to know what people outside a meeting are saying, okay? You often know what's going on outside a meeting, too. Jesus knew right away what they were thinking. He said, why are you so skeptical now? I mean, that's actually kind of an interesting question. Which is simpler, to say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins, or get up, take a stretcher, and start walking? Well, just so it's clear that I'm the Son of Man and authorized a great, that's a great biblical word, so authority goes with authorized, so you never do anything that Jesus doesn't ask you to do. So the Father has asked the Son to save the world. The Father, who's at the top, Council of Nicaea, Santa Claus, punching Arius in the nose. The Father is at the top, okay, 
And the Son is only begotten from eternity, whatever in the world that means. But in some sense, it means some sort of subordination or obedience or it, it just means he's the second person in some very real ways. Basically, the Father directs things from eternity through the Son. It is not um, in any way a condescension or a humiliation in the way that we think. We just can't get past the notion that it we're not number one, we're nothing. The Son doesn't feel that way at all, right? The Heavenly Father has authorized him to do this, and because of that, he then has authority, and now just keep going. Authority is always a gospel word. So authority means, and this is very important because this is what you're going to do too, authority means you deliver the goods, and now it's up to you. Power is the law side of that, that works by force. So I've often said to you, you know, these famous medieval pictures where Jesus comes, he has a sword in one hand, he's coming down from heaven on the last day, he has a sword in one hand and a lily, a flower in the other. What does that mean? Well, it means he'd love to give you the flower, but if you won't have the flower, you'll have the sword. You'll have Jesus a gospel way or a law way, everybody gets to have him one way or another. His authority is to come to be our judge, as we sing in the Te Deum. That's his authority. The the Father has put him in a place to judge, and that's what you will do as well, right? He says that you'll all judge with me. It's going to be a very interesting last day. It's the same as the Eucharist. You come to the Eucharist, if you know what it is, it's the medicine of immortality. If you don't know what it is, if you don't confess it's the body and blood, it makes you sick and it can kill you. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 10 and 11 say. Okay? So here he is, Jesus comes, and he's authorized to do this. And it's nice that this translation, you know, you can't really render this unless it's colloquial, but the Son of Man is authorized to do either or both, so I can do what I want. I can make you walk, I can forgive your sins, I can give you the whole thing, here we go. Depends what I'm trying to do, maybe I'm trying to make a point, maybe I see something in you, maybe I see something in them. Let's figure out what I'm going to do. You see how Jesus is, he's patient, he's kind. This is remarkable stuff. Because in Mark's gospel, the whole thing is chaotic. Mark's gospel is short and fast. It's moving through. He's got to get Jesus to the cross. Here we go. Everybody else is in a tizzy all through the Mark's gospel. And Jesus comes as this presence. He's patient. He's kind. He listens. And then he acts, which is exactly you know, what I'm urging for you and for me. Be kind, which basically means be patient listen, be present. So you come to people, you listen to them, you reserve judgment, you empathize with them, and you think about what Jesus' story might best fit them. And then you tell them that story, even if it's only three or four words. Well, you know, Jesus can forgive that, or Jesus died for that, or Jesus is the great physician, or Jesus raises even the dead. You figure it out. You know all those stories. You need to compress those stories into three or four words, and at least get that out there. People may let, they may let you say more, but oftentimes they don't. Okay? And I'm going to try to get to where you can say to people, when you hear this, you can basically say, I'll pray for you, which would be a great part of this story, and I'll try to get you all the way there. Here's why. Jesus knew right away what they're thinking, which is simpler, this, that, either, both. Now I looked at the, at the um, paraplegic. Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Here's the interesting thing. That guy actually does what he's told. Remarkable stuff. As I've often said to you, the difference between Jesus and every other human being, Jesus does what he's told. 
I'm not kidding. The difference between Jesus and everybody else, one difference that not enough made of is that Jesus can actually do what he's told. The Father says, I'm authorizing you to do this. Take flesh from the Virgin Mother, live as a human being, fulfill the law, go to the cross, rise again. Jesus is like, okay, now there are some times where he's sweating blood over this. But really, 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 the difference between Jesus and all of us, there's one difference between Jesus and Adam. There are other differences, of course. The difference between Jesus and Adam, Jesus and Eve, Jesus and you, is that Jesus, unlike any of us, can actually do what he's told, happily, kindly, thoroughly, completely, promptly, right? And look, this guy gets a bit of Jesus in him, because Jesus says, here's this, and the guy's like, perfect. The man did it. He got up, he grabbed a stretcher, and he walked out, and everybody there was watching him. They rubbed their eyes, incredulous, and then they praised God, saying, we never saw anything ever, ever like this. Okay? All right, so, having said all that, now I'm finally ready to do something with the outline, right? So we did about half of this, and hopefully I've done the um, first nine or ten things without you. Or, not without you, without the, uh, hopefully I haven't done them without you, without the, without uh, going through the outline, okay? So, you know, we're, you're past point four, don't be a dork. You're at point five, you know, pay attention to these stories. And then uh, seven, present and patient and quiet, eight and nine, and then the chance to tell this story, okay? So at point ten, um... I wonder if I could get you to take seriously Mark 137. Everybody is searching for you. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm going to be away a uh, little bit at my 35th reunion, which is always fun for me because I'm going to meet people who have no... I'm going to see people again who I keep up with on a semi regular basis, who have never known me as a pastor, who know me as quite as something else. <laughs> yeah. You sinners, you're a bunch of sinners. Whatever you were thinking in your heart right there. I knew what was in your heart, and I didn't even, I'm not even divine. Here's the thing. But it's always interesting for me, because I'll be, I think I told you, I went, last time I went, um, my daughter had a roommate, and within five minutes, well, I said to her, she said, I, I heard, you, you know, Lane told me you're a pastor. I said, I am a pastor. She goes, this is not the normal response. That's so cool. I'm like, you are so weird. No, I'm just like, here's the thing. It's great. Postmoderns are great. Why? Because... She's like, and immediately she began telling me about, you know, her half-Jewish mother with a Buddhist tinge and her father who was a Protestant and all this and her soul and what you eat and, you know, cows and, you know, you eat fish, they swim fast and that moves you through life and you've heard all this, right? And you eat cows and they're big and so you everything, so you might as well be a vegan and here we go and I'm doing this and here's the thing, you know what the cool thing about all that is? That is the mark that people have souls. It's so refreshing, it's so refreshing that, that, that people know that they have souls. Now you've got to bump and nudge them a little bit, but then they never, you know, they've never been to Sunday school, so how would they know? Everyone is searching for you. If you hold that in the back of your mind, this, so what this means and what it doesn't mean, it means when you talk to somebody who's in trouble, if you say, as so many people over the course of my life in the church have said, you know, primarily relatives and, you know, well, if you just do what Jesus says, then... It's like, Really? Is that what, because I didn't see the guy do anything that Jesus said. In fact, I saw the guy just lie in there. In fact, he didn't even get himself there, which is part of the fun of this story. 
for people who are thinking about deciding for Christ, this is a great story about how Jesus decides for people even when they don't know what's cooking, right? I'm just going to, I mean, I, this is so fun. The text says, Jesus looked at those four people and healed you. What in the world? Because I live in Wheaton and I thought you had to be a good girl before you. He looks at this faith. He doesn't say anything about your faith. You get nothing. You get to walk. And you get your sins forgiven. That's a very weird thing. Which I might as well just go there then is why. This is really a story about this story. You can, here's one way you can tell this story. You can say to people, I will pray for you. I mean, these stories are not that hard. People come to you, but, but from Mark 2, this is exactly it. Here's the thing. What you learn here is that because of your faith, other people get healed. Almost nobody talks like that. But it's because Jesus, the text says, Jesus saw the faith of the four. He sees these four, and then he heals her, him, whatever, right? Now, that's a remarkable thing to say. But you remember, we've talked about this in the past, and this is the easiest way. The easiest thing you can say to people when they spill out all the troubles they've got is, among other things, is, well, I'll pray for you. It's three or four words. But it's remarkable stuff because you bring other people to Christ. You bear other people to Christ. I've talked to you about this before, but I'll just say it you know, here. Um, so often, the reason why people don't come to church is because they're shamed. Or they've done something, or they've been something, or they just haven't been here for a very, very long time. Um, you know what? Oftentimes people want to come back. Oftentimes they want to be included, but they just feel like when they bump into you or they bump into me, you know, they just feel like they think they're going to be in trouble. You know, how do you overcome that? Well, you pray for people. One is it's very hard to hate people when you pray for them. Right, so it cleans up your relationship with them. And two, you invoke divine power toward them. I mean, it's exactly what happened. In some sense, if you'll you know, use a C, Francis of Assisi as your gift, where he said, you know, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. In some sense, these four guys are preaching the gospel to this young guy. So you've got this guy who can't move. I mean, he can't come to Jesus, right? And we don't ever hear anything about him. And he doesn't, Jesus doesn't ask for any kind of commitment. He doesn't even say that he sees faith in him. What he says is he sees the faith in four other people who are kind to him, and he blesses them. What does that mean? It means that because of your faith, Jesus will bless your next-door neighbor. Because of your faith, Jesus will bless your parents. Because of your faith, Jesus will bless your children. Right? So I always, at the Our Father, I mean, Our Father, I always think to, to myself when I say Our Father, you're a father, and I'm a father. You have children, I have children. My children are your children. You better keep an eye on my children, because they're a long way away, and I can't really keep an eye on them, right? It's this begging for people that you love. God responds to that. It's clear in this text that he does. So prayer is, is an act of faith. When you pray for your children, you may not get anything from it, but Christ sees the faith in you, and he blesses other people. Right? It's completely clear that's what's happening in this text. This isn't about the guy. This is about the four. This isn't about the guy. This is about Jesus. This is how the church works. One of the easiest things you can do with this text is simply say to people, I'll pray for you. Nobody says no to that. Not 99 times in 100, not once in 100 do people say, don't pray for me. 
is very rare. And if you get that, hold on, Ooh, big fish, Ooh, big fish, I'm playing it. Because now you've got somebody who's really interested in their soul. If you have somebody who is working hard enough to tell you that you can't pray for them, that, you, that is a door big enough to drive a truck through. Because people suddenly are interested in, it is a mark that people are interested in things divine. So, you know, Jesus has given you faith, and you exercise that faith in prayer, and you follow Jesus' example. Nine times in Matthew's Gospel this happens. Nine times in Matthew's Gospel. I know I gave you the the Mark text, but nine times in Matthew's Gospel, people come to Jesus on behalf of other people, and those people get healed. Can you think of any of them? Any come to mind? Jairus' daughter, good. So my daughter's home, good. Anybody else? The centurion's servant, right? The centurion. So the centurion comes and he's like, I'll come. And he's like, hey, don't bug me. I don't even come home because you, know, you don't need to do that because I know you can shoot it off a satellite and it'll hit down over there 22 miles away. And of course, when he goes home and they meet him, he's like, hey, what time did it happen? The same time you were talking to Jesus. So the mother comes for her daughter. My, my daughter, you know, my daughter, you know, flops around, has demons. She basically says, I'll eat what you spill, Right? It's a great, I mean, I'll eat what you spill, which is a great three or four word way of talking about the mother who comes and begs him. For dogs, I'll eat what you spill. Right? This happens all the time. This is completely underrated for you and for me. See, we've been so taught that I've got to get after you and I've got to get something out of you right now. Jesus doesn't really get anything out of the guy at all. He actually gives the guy something. So the guy couldn't walk. And the guy had sins, and so Jesus takes away his sins and gives him the ability to walk, and he sends him home. And Jesus doesn't ask for any more. Jesus has turned, turned that place into a church because he's present, and he's um, done, done good for that. You know, um, and you should, you know, when you're exhausted worrying that people aren't praying for you, you should remember Romans 8. In Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit and Jesus are at the Father's throne praying for you all day long. Everybody knows the one where it says, and the Holy Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. If you read about eight verses farther, it says that Jesus spends his days praying for you. That's what Jesus does. So you can imagine how blessed you you and I are because Jesus prays for us. And you can imagine how wonderful it would be. You can imagine what a shock to the system it must be for people who don't believe anything at all finally to have Jesus on their side. It's remarkable, remarkable stuff. I want to see if I can move you through this. I'm at 10 and I'm going to go, right? You should just remember, um, metaphorically, there's an awful lot of people you meet that are paralyzed. They're paralyzed mentally, they're paralyzed physically, spiritually, there are just so many people. I'm really surprised, but I've actually I spent some time talking to I had dinner with a therapist when I was in Michigan, and I talked to some other people. One of the most interesting, I'm sure this is true for you. you. If you have kids, you tell your kids, this is what it should be. Do A, and of course they do B, right? It's the same for pastors. I had a, like an annual checkup, and my, my, you know, since there's nothing wrong, then I used my time to like quiz the doctor. So it was fun because she was saying... Um, well, the biggest challenge, you know, because I kind of say, well, you know, what's the biggest challenge? But it actually says the biggest challenge is, is that people now use me simply as a reference to the pharmacy. They Google up their symptoms, they self-diagnose, 
they Google up the cures, they decide what they want, they come to me and say, I've got this and I want this, could you please write the script? She said, who went to medical school again? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, this is, I, I, this is the thing. This is the thing. We have this inability to put ourselves under authority, right? Every new doctor I have, I always say, that I can tell they're looking at me going, you know, what's this guy? I mean, they're sizing you up. If you don't think they are, they are. Talk to them. But I always say to my doctors right up front, I said, I'm going to be the best patient you ever had because I know what it is to be in authority and I know what it is to be under authority. So I just basically say, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So in consequence, my doctor's visit gets shorter and shorter and shorter because there's not really that much to talk about, right? Now you should think of your relationship to Jesus in just that way. And you think of your relationship, that's exactly the relationship you're trying to draw other people in. Why do they bring this guy? They're trying to bring him into that sort of relationship with Jesus. It works, for goodness sakes. They bring him, Jesus speaks to that person, that person does exactly what he says, even though you think it's a small thing, pick up your mat and go home, the guy's been, uh, he's, he's been paralyzed, right? He hasn't walked for a very, very long time. So, um, I'm right at the bottom of 10, but I think I've said everything else that's in here. So the next page is, he looks at one group and blesses another. We bear other people to Christ. Jesus forgives and Jesus heals. That's good. Jesus' authority, I'm at the top of the next page, extends to every last detail of life. And always remember, Jesus speaking is his doing, okay? Now, I just give you this. What happened? Jesus is kind and patient and listening. Imagine the chaos around Jesus. People elbowing, trying to get close. People pushing, right? Jesus is calm. Jesus listens. Jesus sees. Jesus comes with the gravitas. Jesus tells a story. The story goes something like this. Ooh. You're a really big sinner. Plus, you can't walk. So, um, hey, let's take care of both of those right now. Bang, bang. Now you can walk, and your sins are forgiven. And Jesus then, you know, um, you notice they all finished up with saying, hey, we never saw anything like this before. This is, what, this is what people should say when they see you. This is when people walk into St. John, when they walk into your family, when they meet you. I know this doesn't come naturally. But when, when they meet you, when they walk into St. John, what they, what they should say is, we've never seen anything like this before. One of the connection points between Jesus and these four guys is how loyal they were. They have this friend who's completely incapacitated. If they don't bear him to Christ, nobody will. Okay, So they bear him to Christ. I mean, there is something to be said for loyalty in this life. In fact, for many people, it's the chief, um, it's the chief thing. So you can think about this is 13, who needs to hear the story and how you might tell the story. You'll notice that the ones that I gave to you primarily talk about what Jesus does. Um, and you can talk about Jesus as loving you or pitying people or staying close to people. You can think about that. But I just want to say the last thing. This is just simple Jesus stuff. Go do exactly what Jesus does. Live in his image, which is be kind. Kindness has something to do with being present and patient and listening, right, and focusing out. Be kind. You know, tell a story. It can, the story, this story, here's the thing. If you say to somebody, I'll pray for you, that's the Mark II story. You have to understand, that's the Mark II story. I'll bear you to Jesus. That's part of this story. 
You have to tell the whole story. You don't have to get everything done at once. Relax. The Holy Spirit's busy. I'll pray for you, which means I'll bear you to Christ. And Christ honors that. And then the chips fall where they fall, right? Jesus does what he does. People do what they do. You know, um, we can't fix everything, but we do our bit. And our bit is to be kind and tell a story. All right, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.